0: to the equine connection podcast where health nutrition and love for the horse come together this podcast is brought to you by tribute superior equine nutrition i'm dr chris mortensen
1: and i'm dr nicole rambo
0: welcome back nicole how are you
1: hey chris i'm doing well how about yourself
0: doing great doing great so how's the weather in ohio these days
1: You know, we are moving into winter and we get that wet, cold, miserable winter. It's been very muddy. So I have a horse with an abscess, you know, just that time of year.
0: (laughs) It is. And the reason I ask, it's funny because we always joke about always asking the weather is, you know, we have done some podcasts, you know, preparing for winter. So it's just a reminder to our listeners. You want to go back to our October podcast where we were, you know, talking about senior horses in winter. You know, managing horses during changes in weather. You know your fall pastures. It's always worthwhile to go back as we enter that time of year. But today we're going to talk about alfalfa, and you know, as a a kid growing up in California, this was the hay that we fed. And you know, I know it's available throughout the United States, but because it was so readily available on the West Coast, we tend to feed it quite a bit to our horses. And so, when I, I got into, you know, college and learning about different hays, I was really surprised at the, at the differences between, you know, grass hays and and alfalfa. So, just to kind of start this off, can you explain the differences between a grass hay and we say legume hay, but, but that's alfalfa, right?
1: Primarily. I mean, clovers would fall into that category. I've I've never run into a straight clover hay. It's usually a blend with grass. So... Talking about legumes, primarily alfalfa versus grass hays, we are going to do my least favorite thing, which is talk in, you know, really broad assumptions we have about this. We've done some past podcasts on testing your hay. Never a bad idea because even though we're going to talk about some big picture differences, you can find a hay analysis for an individual hay that will break all of these rules guaranteed. But big picture, alfalfa in general is going to be higher in protein, going to be more energy dense. And then it's also going to be higher in some of your trace minerals, really specifically calcium is the one that we really key in on. Grass hays as a group tend to be a little lower protein. If you get into your warm season grass hays, they can be very low protein. And to give this some rough off the top of my head numbers, we can see warm season hays that are down, you know, six to eight percent crude protein a lot of your cool season haze, a lot of times are say 12 to 14% crude protein. And then we'll easily see alfalfa at 18% or greater crude protein, just to give you really broad numbers that did not come out of database, just my head. Then the other differences in kind of the composition of the fiber. So All of this is dependent on the stage that it is cut at, but you can have higher lignification in late-stage alfalfa than you might in a late-stage grass hay, and that's going to affect some things like palatability and so forth. So even though in general we kind of think about alfalfa as really high quality, a great addition to the diet, all those things, it absolutely can be, but over-mature alfalfa can be stemmy, and it'll be lower in those nutrients, and it can be unpalatable and cause some issues as well. So all of it is about kind of gradations within those.
0: Now, like I opened up, you know, I just remember, I, I remember when I when I when I moved to Texas and went to Texas AM and and we started pulling out grass hay, and, and I just left California, where we had beautiful green alfalfa. It just smelled really great, and then I pulled out this grass hay and i was like what in the heck is this junk yeah but but now you know and then as i became more educated and learned about the nutrient content you know there 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 was some differences but my question is because we we didn't feed alfalfa very often down there or even when i moved to florida and south carolina can owners get alfalfa in other parts of the united states you know where it's not readily grown
1: yeah, good question. So if you look at where alfalfa is grown, I mean, by far the largest tonnage is coming out of the Northwest. They have the right climate for large scale commercial forage production. A lot of that's alfalfa. You see a lot of Timothy grown out there as well. If you move into the upper Midwest, you still see quite a bit of alfalfa grown. A lot of that's targeted towards dairies, but it readily grows there. It's readily available. There are are some specific varieties of alfalfa that can be grown further south, but you're kind of outside like the prime growing region. So generally, if you live in these other places, what you'll find a lot of times is western alfalfa that gets trucked to Florida or other parts of the southeast primarily or Texas where it is available. I mean, obviously, it's more expensive than it would be if you lived in the place where it's produced. But in general, I would say most people have access to alfalfa Outside of the Northwest, it's a lot less common for alfalfa to be the primary forage source in a horse's diet.
0: Yeah, very true. And that's what I, my experience was, you know, uh, especially living in the Southeast. Now switching gears a little bit, because we really want to kind of talk about any concerns with, with alfalfa for our horses. So as a nutritionist, you know, You've seen a, a lot of different issues with horses, and maybe we can get into to some of the specifics you know, or specific examples of certain horses where it might not work. But overall, do you have any concerns as a nutritionist feeding alfalfa to horses?
1: So broadly speaking, alfalfa is a great ingredient. There are some challenges and things that we need to manage around when we use it as 100% of the horse's forage source. But in general, for a horse who doesn't have issues, especially if they're a little bit of a harder keeper, a grass alfalfa blend is great. I mean, I feed quite a bit of a grass alfalfa blend myself when it's you know readily available to me, or I've been known to buy some alfalfa to throw an extra flake or two. So in general, no, I think alfalfa is a great addition to many horses diets, not all horses diets. And if we go back to kind of those broad characteristics that we talked about Specifically, high protein, high calcium would be the two big ones. Those are some things that we have to manage around if we're going to use it as a large proportion of the horse's forage. Whereas most of the time when you're feeding a typical grass hay, you don't have to think about some of the additional management steps. So if you think about those two kind of big categories, protein being the first one, alfalfa is going to far exceed the horse's protein requirement. Not a big deal for the otherwise healthy horse. There's a couple you know, specific examples where we might be concerned about protein intake. Uh, An underlying kidney issue would be one. But high protein in the horse's diet, it doesn't cause kidney issues. The horse is just going to break it down and they're going to excrete it in their urine. They have a mechanism already there to deal with that extra protein. It's really not a big deal. Except they're going to drink more. They're going to urinate more one of the things that you would have to manage around is the stable management component. So are you able to buy enough bedding to keep stalls dry enough? Do you have appropriate ventilation? I think we have all been in a barn where you walk in the door and that smell of ammonia hits you in the face. Particularly if it's wintertime, things are all closed up, that's going to contribute or exacerbate some respiratory issues. So that's one thing to think about. Not generally an issue. I mean, if you're grass hay mix is 25% alfalfa, not an issue, but when we're feeding a large amount of the horse's diet. And then the other one is the calcium. One of the things I look at as a nutritionist when I'm formulating is the overall calcium to phosphorus balance in the horse's diet. We always need more calcium than phosphorus, and we have to meet the horse's minimum phosphorus requirement. After that, the mature non-breeding horse can tolerate a pretty wide range of calcium to phosphorus, up to seven parts calcium to one part phosphorus. So, you know, you have a mature gelding, you're feeding all alfalfa, honestly, no big deal, provided their phosphorus need is met. However, where we do run into issues is if we have breeding animals, because they need a much tighter range of calcium to phosphorus. So between one to two parts calcium to one part phosphorus. And when you get outside of that range, you dramatically increase your risk of developmental orthopedic disorders. This is both feeding the pregnant lactating mare and then feeding the growing horse throughout its development. So if I'm in a situation where I'm feeding a large proportion of alfalfa, I'm going to need a different product than most of your typical horse feeds. Generally speaking, Most of our products, for example, are formulated to go with a grass or grass legume blend. But once we get above roughly 50-50 grass alfalfa in a breeding type situation, we need specific products that are formulated to address that really high calcium that's coming in from your alfalfa. So we have alpha essentials and alpha growth. They both, if you looked at the tag, actually give more phosphorus than calcium, and that's designed to help balance that calcium to phosphorus ratio. And even though like the rule of thumb is 50-50, I always strongly encourage people, especially in a breeding situation or growing horses, let's test the hay. Because I have absolutely seen hay in analysis where I would have eyeballed that hay and said, on average, oh, it's way less than 50%. We should be fine. And then we double check and that calcium is a lot higher than you would think. I've also seen that happen on a clover blend as well. So those are some things you need to manage around when you're feeding alfalfa. It's not necessarily bad; it just makes things a little bit more complicated than when we're feeding just a regular old grass hay.
0: No, I, I, to, to, to unravel some of that because it, it was it was I was following you, and it was you know clicking in my head. And I and gosh, I'm going back to California again when I was getting my master's degree, and, and we were feeding so much alfalfa and. And then to straight corn. Sorry,
1: <laughs> Jesus, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm you d- needed our podcast back then.
0: <laughs> this is—we've changed a lot. In, oh my gosh, two decades. Oh, I'm dating myself. But I, I mean, the first thing I thought of was yeah, just that ammonia smell. And and I used to always, you know, talk to owners and, and my students that if you get that really, really just pungent ammonia walking in the, in into a stall, then you're probably feeding a little too much protein. Look at your protein levels in your feeds, but talking about a breeding situation that, that, that was just to reiterate that, that, you know, we, you know, not only tribute, but make sure you're feeding the proper calcium phosphorus balance. You know, that, that's the one horse that really stuck out that you were talking about, but some others, you know, what can we talk about? Like horses with gastric ulcers would feeding alfalfa be a concern with that?
1: Oh, good question. So a lot of times people feed extra alfalfa, because the protein and that high calcium, along with some magnesium, are thought to be better buffers in the stomach. If you look at the scientific literature, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Sometimes they find that feeding alfalfa can help, other times they find it makes no difference. Really interestingly, there's a couple papers that actually look at this in weanlings and really young horses, because stress at weaning time is a large contributor to young horses developing ulcers. And it can be it can be serious at all stages of life, but it can be a very serious issue in your young horse. And actually what they found in some cases, foals fed alfalfa hay actually have greater incidence of ulcers. And what they've attributed this to is mechanical irritation. So especially if it's a stemier alfalfa, it can actually have some scratch factor in the stomach, which kind of irritates the lining of the stomach, which then opens up, you know, basically a perfect pathway for acid to splash onto it and create ulcers. So it, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I would say that, you know, in the mature horse, You certainly can add a little bit of alfalfa, but I would keep in mind the quality of alfalfa. If it's a super, super stemmy alfalfa and it's got more stems than leaves, it may not actually help the horse with ulcers. I tend to focus more on total forage access. So for example, instead of just swapping out my two flakes of grass hay for two flakes of alfalfa, can I feed more hay? Can I extend the amount of time that they have access to it? Because ultimately that chewing that they do of hay creates saliva, that saliva creates buffer. That's gonna do more for you in the long run than just swapping out a limited amount of hay from alfalfa to grass type hay. But it could be a component of a total Kind of management system, provided that you are selective in what quality alfalfa you feed. So, mixed bag on that one.
0: Okay, okay. Now, uh, the other type of horses in my mind, I'm thinking either an overweight horse because alfalfa so nutrient dense. But what about me- metabolic horses too?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, overweight horses in general probably don't need alfalfa because. As part of one of our foundational principles, we try to feed as much forage as possible. If a horse is overweight, we're looking to cut calories, they'd be better off on a grass hay that we could feed a little bit more of. Then again, your average alfalfa is more energy dense than your average grass hay. There's a lot of discussion around alfalfa for insulin resistant horses. You know, some people anecdotally have thought that Alfalfa increases incidence of laminitis. Mechanistically, there's not a lot there that supports that. You know, one thought is that the amino acids in that excess protein, that their carbon skeletons are broken down in the horse's body and turned into glucose. That does technically happen, but It doesn't happen in the sense that you're going to get spikes in blood glucose from a horse turning protein into glucose because that's an on-demand type function. So if a horse's blood glucose was low and the substrate they had available was carbon skeletons from protein metabolism, yes, they could do that, but they're not going to make extra glucose that they then have to secrete extra insulin to get rid of. I think more typically, what probably happens is a lot of insulin resistant horses are overweight. We do know that obesity decreases insulin sensitivity. So, if you took a horse who is already overweight, switched it from grass hay to alfalfa, which is giving it more calories, it becomes yet more overweight, decreases its insulin sensitivity as a byproduct of obesity, then yes, you can kind of connect the dots of alfalfa down to laminitis, but that's not really a function of the nutrient itself. It's a function of how many calories are being consumed and the impact of obesity on insulin regulation. So big picture, no, we're not going to recommend alfalfa hay for the horse who is overweight, insulin resistant. I'm not, on the other hand, going to be afraid if one of the components of a low NSC feed happens to be alfalfa meal. Mm. That by itself is not going to trigger something.
0: Right. Okay. Let me let me throw uh, one more at you. And that's our HYPP horses.
1: That is a good one. So HYPP, hyper... Oh, gosh, can I say it? Hyperkalemic periodic paralysis, genetic disorder in quarter horses, and then, of course, any associated breeds that have quarter horse blood, could potentially have that it goes back to a point mutation in a single stallion named impressive so in these horses because of that genetic mutation they're very sensitive to potassium and what ends up happening is if they have high potassium in their diet it kind of causes these sodium ion channels to become leaky and they have this fit when their blood potassium gets too high and they tremble and they sweat and their eyelid does crazy things it's it's not a nice thing that happens so again, going back to averages, alfalfa on average is a lot higher in potassium than your grass type hay. So one of kind of the broad rules of thumb with, with HYPP is we avoid alfalfa type A. That doesn't mean your grass hay is low enough potassium for your HYPP horse. So I always recommend let's go ahead and test the hay because I've definitely seen plenty of grass hay analyses that are too high in potassium for HYPP horses. So you're trying to keep your total dietary potassium in these horses between 1% and 1.5%. So you're going to want your hay no higher than 1.5% and lower is better.
0: And just a reminder, our listeners on September 30th of this year, we did an episode on HYPP. So if you want to learn more about that, you know, go back and, and listen to that one. Now kind of to tie some of this up, or are, are, are there any, Things owners should be cautious about when feeding alfalfa. And one thing that that always pops in my mind is blister beetles and they are an issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're a relatively rare issue, thankfully. So blister beetles, what they do is in a later mature alfalfa, they're actually there to eat grasshoppers from what I understand. And when they are killed during the hay you know, process So they get crushed by the machinery. They have this specific toxin and it doesn't break down over time. And this toxin is incredibly bad for horses. It doesn't take much at all. So when a horse consumes hay that has a blister beetle infestation, they consume this toxin. And I mean, the range of symptoms are pretty wide, but uh, colic, diarrhea, bloody diarrhea, dehydration, frequent urination. I mean, it's just a very bad situation happens. So you do want to be careful that you don't end up with alfalfa with blister beetles. The tough thing about that is that it it only takes one. I mean, it's not like you're going to open a bale and a million beetles are going to fall out. But the biggest thing you can do there is that they're really interested in mature alfalfa because they're there for other bugs. So if we make sure and get alfalfa that's not totally flowered out, you're much less likely to have blister beetles. And realistically, that's the quality you want. You don't want that overly mature alfalfa because once it has lots of flowering happen, a lot of the leaves are going to fall off. It's going to be stemmier. It's not going to be as palatable and it's not going to be as dense in those nutrients anyways.
0: Well, th- th- no, th- thank you for, for touching upon that. Cause that's always one that's like, Oh, you know, you, 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 tend to forget about it, but it's, but it is out there. And then just as we kind of get towards the end of the podcast, Nicole, wh- why do we feed alfalfa? Like what's some of the good stuff about it? Because, you know, again, I, I grew up with it. It, it, it just always seems to be the hay of choice for, for our horses, but what are some of the, the really good things about alfalfa?
1: So the biggest thing is that it's going to be more energy dense compared to grass hay. So a good quality alfalfa just packs more punch per pound. And if you have a harder keeping horse or one that's working really hard, that can be a great way to get more calories into the forage portion of their diet, which allows us to keep the concentrate meal smaller, which we've talked about a bunch is great for horse gastric health. You know, so Alfalfa, it can be a really useful ingredient. It's good quality fiber, has, you know, obviously high protein and some of those other things. But the biggest thing that we're looking for is just that good source of calories coming in from the forage. So it can be a really great addition to the hard-keeping horse's diet.
0: It is. I just, oh, I miss the smell of alfalfa. I just, I love it. Open up a bale of alfalfa. Any other tips for owners when they feed it?
1: Ooh, final tip, I guess. Good question. So alfalfa can be super super palatable to horses so it's great for the horse who's picky about eating hay sometimes you need to be careful that if you offer a little bit of alfalfa you might end up in a hay strike so if you have some of those picky horses a lot of times mixing your alfalfa with your grass to kind of make a blend you are less likely to end up with a horse who says no thank you to that boring grass hay if you feed them a couple flakes of alfalfa (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's funny. today we're, Today's about all of our past episodes. We just did an episode on picky eaters. So yeah, they're always fun to deal with. Well, I think we just leave it at that today, Nicole. I mean, great explanation on it. Again, if, if you're confused, if you need help, please reach out to the Tribute Team. They are there to field your questions and get you in the right direction. You know, especially again, you know, talking about I do feed alfalfa. And, you know, Tribute has products that match up perfectly with that to keep that calcium phosphorus ratio under control. But if you have any other questions, please reach out to the Tribute team. Nicole, thank you. And be back next week for another episode.
1: Thanks, Chris.